uh, we're going to be talking about work, but I know that there's some retired people in here. If you're retired, raise your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you're a, a stay-at-home mom, raise your hand. We want to pray for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I was a stay-at-home dad for one day, and I quit. Uh, <laughs> If you're a student in here, raise your hands. Uh, so we're going to be aiming at work, but what I'm really speaking to is the work that you do with your hands. So I don't want you to think that you are edged out of this series because you have a responsibility. As a matter of fact, as long as you have breath, God takes breath as an investment. He's like, I invest to, to you oxygen, and I want you to make a contribution as long as I'm giving you breath. So it's not time to retire, wear weird socks, and play shuffleboard. As long as you got breath, God has you, you, some things for you to accomplish. Amen. One thing I didn't realize until I was preaching last night is that this can be a very tough message for people who are unemployed. Um, maybe you started a business and it is not going near as well as you thought it was going to go. Uh, maybe... Uh, you got to the end of the year and you were fired. Maybe you were fired and you shouldn't have been fired. I had a man in his mid-50s sitting in my office. He was crying. He said, I, he said Pastor Mark, I can't believe it. He said, I've been fired. I should have never been fired. Have you ever been fired unjustly? I looked at him and said, no. Every time I've been fired, it's spot on, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so let me tell you this. I, I don't want you under condemnation. I want you to grab a hold of the Word of God. There was a man in the Bible that attended church and he had a withered hand. And, and Jesus stopped preaching a sermon to, to speak life into that withered hand so he could be a provider again. But you know what I love is that even though his hand was withered and he couldn't provide for his family, he still knew where he needed to be and he was in God's house. So if you're here today and that's you, you've already made the first step. Amen? And I want you to know this, no matter where you're at, God is the God who notices you. Hagar said this in, in Genesis. Here she was with Ishmael. Looked like they're going to starve to death. And Jesus visits her as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament and speaks life to her. And then she steps back and she said, and she named God this name. You are the God who notices me. How many of y'all, isn't that a beautiful word? And then she said this, I have now seen the one who sees me. It's one thing for you to know that God sees you. It's another thing to position yourself that you have the ability to see God. If you do that today, God's going to do some amazing things in your life. Amen? So in this service, I want you to open your heart. There's going to be some tough stuff. Every time I've preached some of these points, people get mad and they walk out and I say boo-hoo to you. And just, uh, but you just suck it up because we're going to teach from a biblical perspective. Amen? Who remembers their first job? Raise your hand. First job. Somebody holler at me. First job. What's the first job you had? One at a time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Walmart. Who in here's worked at Walmart? Praise God. Look, this is Arkansas. All right. Somebody said they were a waitress. Who? Waiter waitresses. Let's just see. All of those people in here. Who's ever worked at? You worked in a grocery store? Piggly Wiggly. That's the best job I ever had. I peaked at Piggly Wiggly. That was it. It's been downhill ever since, right? What's the worst job you ever had? You think about it. Let me give you three seconds. <laughs> Somebody's pointing at their boss. A worst job. Name it. What's the worst job? Chuck E. Cheese. 
Who said Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> did you have to dress up as the mouse? You did! Ah! Oh! Sign her up for VBS. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> My worst job, uh, Robert Benson, he is the most amazing redneck that lives in Louisiana. Funniest man I've ever met. Uh, he's best friends with my dad. I came home from college one, one semester, and I'm like, I'm done with college. I don't need college. There's a, a Kobe Bryant didn't go to college, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to finish college, you know. And he goes, uh, he said, uh, so he called me up. He said, Marcus, he's like, we're cutting a track of timber down. I need a man to work a, uh, uh, <laughs> I need a man to work a chainsaw. I'm like, well, I'm 18. I'm a man. And, uh, <laughs> and so I remember we got at this track of land. He's like, we're going to cut that down. You trim the limbs off. Just walk right up and trip down every limb. He's like, you think you can do this? I got it. <laughs> he looked at me. He said, let me tell you something, son. <laughs> By the end of this day. By God, you're going to finish college. <laughs> I did. I've got a master's degree after that day. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> you're going to spend 150,000 hours of your life at work. That's 40% of your life. You're going to spend 33% of your life uh, sleeping, 40% of your life working, you're going to spend six months of your life at red lights. Just run them. Quit throwing your life away. Amen. <laughs> and you're, you're eventually going to get to a point where you get cynical about this, and you'll ask the same question that Solomon asked. When Solomon asked in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, what do people really get for all their hard work? You ever thought that about your job? What am I getting out of this? What's the benefit? Who is this helping I mean, it's 40% of my life. I just feel like I'm throwing it away. This is a sad stat. Two-thirds of Americans believe that if another job opened up, they would take it tomorrow. <laughs> so if you're a boss, I'm going to tell you, you're on thin ice. 70% of Americans daydream about doing something different with their life. God did not intend this to be that way. Let me tell you this. There are a lot of misconceptions about work. There are a lot of believers that will say this, well, work is just the cause of the sin that entered the world, and that's why we all got to work. So when I get to heaven, I'm going to slap Adam, and I'm going to unfriend Eve, you know, and it's just how it's going to be, because I have to work, all right? Uh, work, work was before sin entered the world. When God created Adam, he gave him a job. As a matter of fact, ladies, if you're taking a note, before he gave him a wife, he gave him a job. That's a pro tip for you right there if you're single. <laughs> Amen? Uh, so he gave him a job. So he was working a job. This is what the Bible says in Genesis 2. God put the man in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it. Let's say it. One, two, three. To work it, all right, and to care for it. In paradise, you're going to have a job. Now, listen, here's another weird misconception. It comes from some mysticism that people think we're going to get to heaven and we just kind of float around on clouds and we drink green tea and watch Hallmark movies. All right? That'd be hell for a man like me. You know what I'm saying? When you get to heaven, God's going to give you responsibilities. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be work to do, but listen to me. It's going to be the most perfect job you've ever had. It's going to line up with your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. And for the first time in your life, you're going to have the perfect boss. And everybody said, "Woo!" 
when sin entered the world, work, write this down, became toil. It became a struggle. Sometimes it's hard to find a job. Why? Sin entered the world. Sometimes work becomes demeaning. Sometimes it becomes demanding. There's pressure there. It affects me spirit, soul, and body because sin entered the world. Sometimes uh, I, there are people there that stab me in the back and talk bad about me. And, and I'm trying to move up and they try to move me down. And sometimes you're going to work for somebody that is an ungodly person. How many of y'all have ever had that in your life? Right? It's because sin entered the world. Just send them an email. You're the result of the fall of mankind. You know, just don't do that. All right? So... <laughs> So, so what is it? I want you to have this theological, this whole theological perspective about work. I want this to change and shift. It's shifted inside of me. I want it to shift inside of you. And then at the end of this message, we're going to seal this by taking communion together. You guys ready? But I want you to know there has been some resistance to this because I think a lot of you are in bondage with this. And some of you are going to make another step in a career this year. And God wants to set you up. And Satan's like, I want to resist that right now. When God looked at the earth, he said it was void and without form. It was in a state of chaos. So in this world, how, what is one of the biggest ways that God took something that was in a state of chaos and bring order to it? This is what he did. He created a man and put him to work. And every time you show up and you work on your job and you put in a hard days of work, it is one of the ways that God creates order in this planet. Somebody say amen. Amen. You go to an area of the world where nobody's working. You go to a neighborhood in America where nobody's working. What are you going to see? You're going to see chaos. You're going to see filth. And you're going to see violence every single time. Amen. You go to my kid's bedroom three days after Christmas. All they've been doing is playing. I opened up the door and I went, a third of the demons fell out of heaven and right into their bedroom. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're, so you got to have this theological perspective that I'm not just, just working just to get, earn some money. I'm working because this is how God creates order in this world and he's using me. Amen? So I'm going to talk about Spirit, soul, body, let's start with body. Let's start with the physical, basic realm of work. I work to meet my needs. I work to meet the needs that I have. There's bills to pay. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Amen? It's, it, this is, write it down, this is survival mode. The message says this, the message translation in Proverbs 12, 11 says, I love this. The one, this is so simple. The one who stays on the job also has what? Food on the table. That's the basic need. The one who has, uh, stays on the job, what are they doing? They're working. They got food to eat. And I want you to write this next to the verse. This is your spiritual responsibility. I'm telling you, we are living in a culture where we're trying to put this basic responsibility on somebody else. This is the truth. Y'all listen to what I'm saying. So I'm not getting political here, but I need to be biblical here. This is not the government's responsibility. Listen, I'm not talking about people who are injured, people who are sick, people who are disabled, and people who can't. We got some grace and mercy for you. But the Bible is incredibly clear. If you can, you need to get up and go to work. This is, listen to me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All the older people are clapping. All right. So, 
You needed to work. I'm going to tell you this. It's not the church's responsibility either. People think the church is designed to just help every single need in the world. That's no. The Bible's actually put boundaries around that. That there are people who are widows and people who are orphans and people who've been abused and people who've had horrible things happen in their life. We are there to rescue them. We are not here to enable anybody. We are not here to enable a spirit of poverty. The Bible says when you work, it unlocks some gifts and talents and character and leadership things in you. It unlocks vision inside of you. And I don't care how much. Hey, listen, you could have a rich papa. That don't mean that God doesn't want you to work. Amen? You're, you're on this earth. God wants you to make a contribution. Praise the Lord. Preaching right now. Amen? <laughs> Something happened to me. It's never happened to me before. I was at a gas station in Russellville this past week. And there was a guy who swiped his card and it was declined for insufficient funds. So when he left, I went outside, had 20 bucks on me, and I, I just said, hey, let me be a blessing. You can have, just take this 20 bucks. He's sitting in his truck. He's like five or six years older than me. He's sitting in his truck, and he looks at me, and he took it, and then he handed it back. He said, I can't, I can't take this money. I said, bro, look, I've, I've been blessed so much. It's crazy. You have no idea. Got a lot of money. You know, it's just like, I just said, I've been blessed. Just take this. Let me be a blessing. I said, everybody has a bad day. Everybody has things happen. And he, he was holding it with his thumb. He said, no, 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 you have to take this back. He said, listen to me. He said, I've been wasting money on alcohol. I've been wasting money on cigarettes. I've been wasting money on entertainment. And he said, and now I can't even take care of my family. And today needs to be my wake-up call to get it right. And then he looked at me and he said, thank you for this wake-up call. And I'm holding the money in my hand. I was like, can I touch you on the shoulder? you you're a unicorn. You know, I was just like, I've never seen it one time in my life. First Timothy 5, 8 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, look how strong the Bible is about this. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, that's your responsibility. Me and my family, if I'm able, this is what I'm working for. He says, watch this. Is this strong? He has denied the faith. And is worse than an unbeliever. He says, this is one thing Christians do. They get up, they roll up their sleeves, and they go to work. Jesus said, my father is always at work. Here's something to put on your kid's bedroom door. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Let's look at it. I love this. Y'all ready? <laughs> this will make them so happy in the morning. Let's all, let's all read this together. Are you ready? One, two, three. Whoever doesn't want to work shouldn't be allowed to eat. Hey, man. I want you to listen. Let me give you another perspective. Do you know that so many of the things that you're praying for, God answers those prayers by putting someone else to work? When they, even in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. They're wanting to eat. It's not that you pray that and God's like, okay, I'm going to give you coordinates to this geyser in the ground. And if you walk up, bread just going to start shooting up out of the ground. And then you catch it and make you a baby day with it. That's not what happens. You pray, give us today our daily bread. And you know what happens? While you're still sleeping, there's a farmer who got up before a rooster, fixed himself a cup of coffee, amen, put on a John Deere cap, went outside and started breaking that ground with his hands and putting his sweat in it putting his blood in it, right, putting his tears in it, putting his prayers over it, and hoping for good weather, and out from that became that provision. Amen? Somebody went to work. Amen? When my wife was diagnosed with cancer and we're praying for healing, 
God's going to heal you. Sometimes he heals you by your immune system. That's the, that's the image of God that he created you. And her immune system healed her. You know what else? Sometimes she had a supernatural touch. But I'm going to tell you this. There were nurses that got up and went to work. And they showed up and did their job. And there were doctors that had been, years before, had been staying up half the night studying for an exam and believing this was a calling of God on their life. And they entered our life, and they were the answer to these prayers. There, there are surgeons in this church, we know it because they text us, that if it's 6 a.m. in the morning and they got a major surgery, they're saying, pray for me. Because this is life and death. And you're praying for healing, and they're going, God, you got to study these hands. Because this is how you bring it around. Healing that day, God, these are your hands, not my hands. I need you. You pray for protection. All right? I pray. I'm like, God, surround me by angels. I believe in them. Y'all believe in angels? I believe in them. I just ain't never seen one. You know what I'm saying? Except my wife. That's it. All right? I thank God for angels. I also thank God for people who carry a Glock 40 on their hip. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) I can't say that on the West Coast, but I can say it right here. Right? Yeah. You pray for protection. I thank God for men that are in the military. And I thank God for police officers. They have a badge and they have a blue light on the car. Amen. Don't you thank God for that? Praise the Lord. They're out there keeping you safe, pulling over drunk drivers and arresting uh, people from Oklahoma and keeping this world (laughs) moving forward. Praise God. You, you have, you've got to have a, an eternal perspective. That this is a way that God is using me in this earth. I, I, I'm, not, I'm providing some needs, and there's some answer to prayer. Here's the second thing. And so this, that's the physical realm. Let me quickly talk about the emotional realm. Because once you start working, and once you have money, and once you've invested money, this is the second thing. Work forces you to pick who's going to be your master. Because now another master enters your life immediately. You don't deal with this that much as a kid, but you start working. You've got to pick who, what's going to be the master of my life because now it enters more voices than you've ever had before. You're going to have God speaking. You're going to have money speaking. You're going to have God speaking. There's going to be opportunities over here speaking. You're going to have God speaking. And then multiple doors open. What do I do in my life? And if you don't settle this, listen to me. You Listen. If you don't settle this, you're going to deal with stress, you're going to deal with burnout, you're going to deal with anxiety, you're going to have panic attacks and not know why. And what I'm about to talk about, I'm not talking about chemical imbalance. You got a chemical imbalance, you need to go see a doctor, see a psychiatrist, get some help. I'm going to talk to you about the issues of life. Jesus said this, therefore, everybody say therefore. Pastor Rick teaches us this anytime in the Bible you see the word therefore, you got to stop where you're at. You got to move up in context and see what this is there for. Does that make sense? Underline that if that's in your notes or write that down. Therefore, I tell you, let's say this together do not worry. All right, a little bit stronger, class. You ready? Do not worry. Now, watch what he's about to say. Do not worry about your life, and he's going to talk about everything you're working for. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about your body, and don't worry about what you will wear. Isn't that most of what we're working for right now? He's teaching one passage on worry, and he said, don't worry about this. Now he says it again. One passage, he goes, so, let's say it together, do not worry, saying, what shall we, he's he's like, these are hard-headed people. I got to say the same thing over, because it went right over their head, because these are the things I worry about while I'm eating. 
I'll be eating lunch. I'm like, what do you think we're going to have for dinner tonight? I'm, I'm getting a little nervous right now, you know what I'm saying? It's like, do not worry about what shall we drink or what shall we wear. And he talks about how the pagans run after all these things. He, this is what he's saying. People who don't hear from God hear from that voice and they run after it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so then the last one he goes, therefore, let's say it together, do not worry, and this is everything we work for, about tomorrow. How am I going to invest it? How am I going to live on it? Oh, what happened in 2008? And all this stuff. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Listen to me. Jesus says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Three times. That's a biblical authority. I want you to write this down. This is a command. We don't look at worry as a broken commandment. We look at worry as a natural response to problems. God looks at it as the sin of a soul. That's how he sees it. Because he says, do not worry. If I told my kids, do not get out of that seat. Look at me. Do not get out of that seat. I am the pastor of this church. Do not get out of this seat. Right? They get out of this seat. He says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. The word worry means to be torn into two pieces. I'm just literally torn in half. Worry is concern on steroids. Worry is concern that went too far. If Brooke and I are concerned about something, that's not sinful. Then that's not a broken command. Concern is a healthy thing. Concern is when we're facing a problem and we go to the Bible. We're like, we're dealing with this issue. All hell's broke loose in our house, right? And it's just like, oh, we got, and, and we got to find out what does God say about it? And then we sit around our life group and we go, what do y'all think? Will y'all pray for us on this? And then all of a sudden we get a plan and we go attack it. That's legitimate. That produces spiritual grit. Worry will control you. You know you're dealing with worry because it begins to affect how you sleep. It'll affect your temper. That's when I know I have worry in my life. How many of y'all, when y'all worry, you just you, you get a short fuse? Raise your hand, be honest, don't lie in church. Man, praise God, this is my people. That's what I'm like. I'm just like on edge. I'm like, shut your mouth, I'm trying to hear from God. Everybody shut up. <laughs> Can't you tell I'm trying to get some peace here? It's just, that's just how I am. And you, you worry, you have, a, you have a problem coping. I'm going to tell you this about worry. When you... Satan knows when you worry, and you know what Satan will do? Satan will build a playground over here to the side. And he'll be like, you worried? Like, this will make you feel really good really fast. Just jump that fence and come get on this merry-go-round, right? And that's worry. Let me tell you one more thing about worry. You need to write this down. If you don't deal with worry, worry is like cancer. It will metastasize. And worry will move from one thing you're worried about to something else. So you're worried about your job. You're worried about work. You're worried about money. Then all of a sudden... Well, I just don't know about my kids. You know, they just, I take them to church all the time and it doesn't work. Them youth pastors don't do any good for them, you know, and I don't worry. You know, and you see people like that. People that just worry. Just, I just got to relax, preacher. You know, when I'm happy, I'm good. But when I get worried, I, I'll drink a bottle of wine in about 30 minutes. You know, it's just, <laughs> amen. <laughs> no amens. All right, here we go. <laughs> Here's the root. So we said, you got to see what it's there for. Okay, so we read that and it, it's motivational. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. But Jesus, Jesus was saying, when he says, therefore, do not worry, he was like, there is a principle 
two or three verses above that deals with the root of it. And if you catch this, it'll set you free. Amen? He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, watch this, your whole body will be full of what? Please lock in right now. This is going to set you free. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, let's all read this together right here, this one phrase. Ready? One, two, three. No one can serve two masters. Now let me read this. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Let's read this together. You cannot serve both God and money. You're, listen to me. This, this is how, let me illustrate it. Brooke, stand up. This happens every day in our house, all right? I need her attention because that's why I married her, right? She's, she's, she's my helpmate, amen? I need her. But we got three little crumb snatchers running around our house too. You know what I'm saying? And they're always, their favorite word is mama, 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 mama. How many of you mamas in here have ever said, if you say mama one more time, you about to see the devil, right? So every day she is literally in the middle. So, okay, I want this section every time I speak to her, then I want you to say mama, mama, mama. All right, can y'all do that? All right, or do we need to move to another section? Y'all got this? All right, let's try it. Are you ready? One, two, three. No, that was terrible. I need you to say it like a three-year-old, okay, with whining. All right, you ready? One, two, three. All right, better. All right, all right. So I, I walk in the house. I'm like, hey, Brooke, I need you for a second. <laughs> can you make me a sandwich? <laughs> I just want to cuddle. No, there we go. All right, you can sit down. He said, this is what happens at work, anywhere in your life, you're going to have two voices. And he says, and they lit, you got two masters, and they are tearing you into two pieces. What does worry mean? Oh, to be torn into two pieces, right? So here's the whole root of it is that you got money talking, you got work talking, you got all of this, and you've got to decide who's going to be my master. Because when you're doing this, and when you're doing this, and when you're doing this, then this is what Jesus said. The spiritual light in you goes dark. And then all of a sudden, you don't know what to do in life. And the second that happens, worry comes. That second. You ever walk through your house at 2 in the morning? You know, every light's out. You can't see nothing. You say, if you got kids, you're like, where are the Legos? You know? When, you, when you're walking through and it's pitch black, you just, how do you walk through? Like, whoo, Where's the wall? Nobody ever walks through a dark house with confidence. Nobody's like, what up? No, you kill yourself, right? I've broken my pinky toe four times. I'm telling you, I know this to be true, right? When you're walking in darkness, you're like, I don't know where to step, and I don't know what to do with my hands, and I'm unsure of myself. That's what spiritual blindness is. And when you're torn between two masters, worry comes because you're like, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should move there. I don't know if I should take this position. I don't know what to do. But when you say, Jesus, everything that I do, I do for the glory of God. And you are the one whom I serve every single morning. I'm serving you. I'm not serving money. Somebody say amen. Then, 
the light comes on and you start walking. Whew, some confidence. You got some swagger to your life. That's what you need. Amen? Here's the third one. I work to be a blessing. I want to be a kingdom blessing. I work in order to help other people. There's the physical, the basic needs. I'm settling the emotional. But then here's the kingdom blessing. And put out beside this, this is the higher purpose. I know people who already have retirement all saved up. They're working to give to missionaries. There's just a higher drive in their life. I know people who have retired. We got a guy who retires. He's a businessman. He shows up and cleans our bathrooms at the church every week. He's just like, you're, you're a bit. Everybody knew you. He just loves it. He has so much joy. He's like, this is my purpose. I don't like being around people. They get on my nerves. But put me in a bathroom. I can find the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I just love it. He found his, his, there's a higher purpose. There's three stages of life. The first stage is survival stage. You're just trying to make it. I'm just trying to pay my bills. You know, I get to the end of the month, I'm sweating it. You're just in survival stage. How many of y'all ever been in that stage? I'm just trying to survive. I was in Walmart with my son. We got on aisle four. He grabbed something called spam. He said, Daddy, what is spam? I said, wait a few years. Once you get married, you'll know for sure. Amen. <laughs> I'm talking about getting that survival stage. You got Spam, Vienna sausages, ramen noodles, and off-brand Kool-Aid. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> and some of you men in here are like, I like Vienna sausages. <laughs> and that's why we have freedom groups. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> then there's the success stage. That's when you can go out to eat. Quit bootlegging cable, you know? Just... I got a little something. I can go on a cruise. Listen, <laughs> most people never make it to the last stage. They live their life in success stage. Let me tell you what the greatest stage of life is, is the stage of significance. And that's when your life begins to matter to a whole lot of more people. It doesn't matter what stage you are in, any stage, God will show you how to be a blessing if you pray. You can be in survival stage and say, God, I want you to, to use me to be a blessing. He'll give you an idea. That's a prayer God always answers. But you need to point and say, I want to, be, I want to have a significant life. Most people get all they can, can all they get, and sit on their can. Isn't that the truth? But you got to say, God, I want to be a funnel. What flows in you flows, flows in you, to me, through me. Whether it's these, write, write these down. It's words. Wealth and my work, you can flow through me. Amen? When, uh, when I was 19 years old, I was sitting in a conference with John Maxwell. How many of y'all have heard John Maxwell? He teaches on leadership, wrote tons of books. I was, <laughs> he, he was sitting on stage teaching. I was sitting right over here. And uh, he stopped the whole thing in the middle of his leadership talk. Places packed, sold out, people everywhere. He, he, he stopped his leadership talk, and he goes, hey, He's like, I can't say one more word without talking to you. And he stopped and he goes, you on the fifth row. This section, fifth row, you. And so everybody's like, pardon? And it was, he was pointing at me. And I was like, me? He's like, yeah, you. He's like, I'm up here teaching. And every time you smile, it just catches my eye. He's like, you got a smile that lights up the room. And he's like, and then every, every time you laugh, I can just pick you out. He's like, and then he stopped and he says, do me a favor. And he, this guy's changing nations right now. He says, do me a favor. Never stop laughing. Never stop smiling. 
well, it was so emotional. I was like, I'll never stop. I promise God. You know? <clears throat> I, he didn't have to do that. You know why, you know why he lives and loves like that? Because he's on that third stage significance. It's like, I'm not going to miss an opportunity to bless somebody, whether it's in word or deed or whatever I'm doing. I'm not going to miss an opportunity to serve someone else and lift them up and add value. Amen. I want you to stand on your feet, and I'm going to pray over that over.